Welcome to Manager Tools. My direct disagrees with me privately. Part one, here we go. This cast answers these questions. What if my direct disagrees with me on something? What if my direct won't do something because she disagrees? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. What a shocker. Your direct disagrees with you. It's never happened to me. It's never. I mean, you know, if you're really a good boss. Okay, but I want to give this cast an unofficial title. I have gotten 100 questions, Mike. And you know what? It only this week hit me that I'd gotten all these questions that were essentially the same question, but I couldn't hear it because they were using different words. And I'm going to simplify it rather than giving you all the examples I've gotten in the last year. But people say, well, Mark, my, my direct is resistant. You know, he's slow to move. My direct won't, you know, he won't join the team. I started probing more on these questions I was getting, and they were all basically the same thing. Directs believed, or at least I got enough questions to believe there was a significant percentage of directs who believed that if they disagreed with their boss, they could do what they would call resist, which is to say, drag their feet on deliverables, drag their feet on priorities, not engage on the tasks and the responsibilities, not contribute, and so on. They would resist on one-on-ones. I got that question because I just don't know if I need that much time with you. They would resist on projects. They would resist on somebody else's project. They would resist on their project because they were told that they couldn't have total control and authority over what was actually happening. I literally about a week ago woke up and realized, oh my gosh, the theme is in different language, all of these managers are being told by their directs, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And I think, based on their behavior, I think I can not do what it is you want to do. So the unofficial title of this cast is the resistance cast. Hmm. Okay. In other words, if you feel that one of your directs is resistant to you, and I'm going to be clear about what that means in a second. I'm going to walk you through how to address it. These people who are resistant, who who engage in the behavior, I'm talking about the direct who drags her feet, for example. Right. Did they never play team sports before in their entire life? If they were on a team and the, and the quarterback picked, you know, play X and they wanted to do play Y, they just went in a different direction. How does that work? So it's very interesting you ask that. I'm in a hotel in Miami right now getting ready to present for a client, and I had a very similar conversation downstairs about an hour ago getting ready for tomorrow about resistance, and we talked about high school sports. And my take on that is that when you're on a team and you're, I'm, I'm going to say juvenile, but folks, please don't get offended by that. If you're not an adult, if you're under 18 and you have adults over you and there's a coach or there's a, there's a, a debate coach or there's a teacher, there's a sponsor, there's a, there's a proctor, whatever, there is an inherent natural tendency to conform to what the team is doing. But when you become an adult, particularly when you're a young adult, between the ages of, say, 20 to 25, and you're trying to further define the boundaries of what you're capable of, and you believe that up until now you had been a child, but now you're an adult, and so therefore, as adults, we're all equal. And by the way, I've said that before, guys, so don't throw it back at me and say, wait, you said that. I know that I've said that. They don't understand that the organization that they've joined is similar to the high school track team, the high
the high school field hockey team, that when you join the organization, you give up some of your individuality. And just to put a quick point on it before we go over the outline, resistance, oh, I should say it, resistance is futile, right? Just like the Borg. It makes the organization oh, seem God. to be the Borg. But no, Sorry, what folks. I'm getting at, yeah, no, 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 come on. I, I, you, can't, you can't go wrong with our audience with a Star Trek or a Star Wars reference. I saw a t-shirt the other night said, I want to go to Starfleet, and so I'm going to Jedi training and therefore I have to leave the Shire. Something like that. It's just an absolutely the geekiest t-shirt. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a Battlestar Galactica kind of guy. Oh, so all my this gosh. Other stuff that's, 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 that's just really. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, so my point is, is that these folks resist, and in, in resisting, they think that they're asserting themselves, and yet their resistance is misplaced because the organization expects parts of the organization to do what is necessary within the framework the organization is competing or, or moving in that direction. Anyway, four points to our outline today. First of all, disagreement is normal and healthy. Number two, though, up to a point. And when disagreement, conceptual disagreement, ideation disagreement, disagreement on plans, processes, procedures, and so on, turns into resistance, then that's a problem, okay? And that's because resistance takes the form of behaviors that affect results, which is the purview of managers, of course. Third point, separate concepts from behaviors. Mike, the reason it took me so long to learn this, my fault, was because managers said resistance and and what I didn't hear was the combination of, I disagree with you, and so therefore I'm going to behave this way. Right. And the concept of disagreement, which is completely understandable, we're going to disagree sometimes, is one thing. The idea of not achieving your deliverables is anathema to organizations. I don't know what that means, but I think it's a big word that means bad or something. I don't know. Yes. And now I'll throw another one at you. It is as if resistance is a portmanteau of disagree and behavior, which of course it's not, if you know what a portmanteau is, which I know you don't, and that's okay. Um, and a final point, the key point for this guidance. It's um, anathema. And it'll take us a little way. Exactly. It's anathema. Is give feedback on actions, on behaviors. Either way. And that's the key to the whole thing, as you might imagine, from manager tools. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said, uh, yeah. besides just insulting Feedback my intelligence, so yeah, no, other than that, on. we'll talk about that later. You didn't know anathema. I know what that means. Um, I'm glad you said that disagreement is normal and healthy because yeah. <laughs> God knows I have engaged in a lot of disagreement with my bosses and my directs, yeah. and it happens yeah. all the time. You and I, actually, people would assume that I would do it, but you did it several times in your career. Oh, you mean the bad way? Well, in a way that's politically unwise, maybe not oh, bad, yeah, but politically that. unwise, yeah. So, disagreement is healthy in organizations because disagreement is normal in organizations. We've said it before, we'll say it again. The definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county, okay? Disagreement which is a soft version of conflict. I think you could are. I think if I got to know any manager who's listening out there and one of their directs and they had a disagreement going, neither one of them would argue that they're in a form of conflict. It's a soft conflict, perhaps, but it's a form of conflict. Oh, and there's a lot of people out there that 
when they're in disagreement, they are in conflict from their perspective. Oh, they absolutely feel in conflict. Yeah, which is part of learning politics, which is just because you're in disagreement doesn't mean you're in conflict. And if you feel you're in conflict, that's bad. It's okay. I mean, now, I would also argue, Winston Churchill said it very, very well, I will not apologize for choosing the side of the fire brigade over the fire. I mean, there are times when one must take a position. You know, that's the thing about Churchill. He got across a lot of good points, and he used pretty simple words. I mean, yeah, but just, say, just saying. The old words, simple. And did you know that Winston Churchill came to Pebble Beach in 1930, 1929, 1930? Yeah, I'm a Churchill guy. So disagreement is normal. In fact, lack of disagreement suggests something kind of weird, actually. Okay, so since we all know that it's true that there's going to be some tension, some conflict, some rubbing, at least intellectually at work, why do so many of us managers get nervous or offended when our directs disagree with us? We sense some disagreement and we immediately go, oh, what should we do? Are we so insecure in our role power or our relationship with our directs that any sense, any sense of conflict is, oh, I don't know, what should I do? I'm concerned. Why aren't they just falling into line? And in fact, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I think perhaps we all are. And I think for many, many managers, the weight will tick over to the other side when you realize you suddenly have this realization, you know what? I'm secure in my managerial role. And so the next time one of your directs gets a little bit upset at you, one of the one of your directs feels like they're in conflict with you. You don't add to the conflict because you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, they say, well, I disagree. You say, well, okay, great. No problem. It reminds me of the look on people's faces when I tell them the story about how you send an email to all your directs when you're doing one on when you're setting out to do one on ones, and one of your directs inevitably, if you've got a stick in the mud, doesn't respond, and so you assign that person a time. He didn't pick a time the way everybody else did, and so after not responding to you for forty eight hours in an email, he immediately sends you an email and says after you announce, "Hey, almost everyone picked a time." Uh, here's the schedule. And of course, his name is on the list with the time. And he immediately writes back in five seconds and says, hey, I didn't pick that time. And I always joke with the audience and I write back, yes, I know. See you then. Meaning really a half an hour, three weeks from now, you're going to fall on your sword about with me. I'm totally comfortable asking for that from you. And I don't feel the need to coddle you to make you feel more comfortable about an email I sent two days ago asking for a half an hour of your time and you don't have the courtesy to reply to. And now I send an email and you don't reply for 48 hours, the first email, but it takes you five nanoseconds to reply to the second email. Seriously, we're, you're on shaky ground here. I'm on completely comfortable ground. You go ahead and go talk to HR all you want. I'll show them that the other nine people who report to me, all responded within 15 minutes and it took you two days and you were at your desk all day and I will show them. I'll ask them to check your server logs and I'll discover that you sent 200 emails in the last two days, but you didn't respond to mine. You're scary. Yeah, I know. It's, it's bad. So even if we are nervous, even if we are uncomfortable, even if we don't know, what should I do? The fact is we still have a responsibility to both get things done. And if we know that disagreement is going to happen, we have a responsibility to accept, to tolerate some disagreement. 
it's just inevitable. It's like why we put oil in our car engines, because without the oil, the engine will seize because there's friction, there's heat, there's waste, there's loss of efficiency when things move around and rub against one another. So we aren't seen as tolerating disagreement if we over-respond to it or if we try to cut it off. If, in other words, somebody starts to disagree and we push back pretty hard, pretty directly, we're not seen as tolerating it. We're seen as being tyrannical. If we chide somebody for it publicly, you're essentially saying, I know that as a manager, I have to understand that there will be disagreement, but I can't handle it. Essentially, you're saying, I'm insecure. I'm not ready to be in the role that I'm in. And for the record, folks, we actually have previous guidance here, how to handle public disagreements from your directs in case that happens. And think about it this way, guys. Remember Horseman's middleman theory. Do you agree with your boss always? Of course you don't. Right. Yeah, no. Holy moly, of course you don't. And there's probably, when you think about it, you realize if you privately disagree with your boss, but you don't show it because you recognize that you're not going to win all your battles, you don't get everything you want, then that's probably what you expect of your directs too. So that when they act out, when they resist, when they push back, when they disagree, even in private, That's maybe a little bit problematic for you because your directs don't seem to be behaving the way you would behave towards your boss. But one of the things I've learned about that is if you're a frontline manager, it's likely that your individual contributor directs don't have the experience and political savvy, and maybe it's not political savvy, it's just political bruises that you have that. Yeah, when your boss says X, you're generally going to go along. If you have an opinion, you share the opinion, you make your case, and then maybe you win, maybe you lose. But once the decision's made, you have to fall into line to some degree. And we've talked before about murdering the unchosen alternative as well as part of professional subordination. And don't let yourself be confused with the direct who is very likely to be more, is more likely all things being equal to be a resistant direct, somebody with a lot more tenure in the company than you. Because you might say, well, he has 15 years of experience. She has 15 years of experience. I don't know how hard I can step on them. We're not going to ask you to step on anybody hard. The point is their experience is all as an individual contributor. And they all say, you know, I've got 15 years here. I've got 18 years here. Yes. And probably most of it apolitical. And the fact is, the definition of politics is two human beings in the same county. Actually, the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. Definition of politics is three human beings in the same county. So to that extent, when somebody has no political experience, they really don't understand what it means when they're resisting a boss by saying, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. Which, by the way, Mike, is very interesting that I made the Star Wars Star Trek reference and you had a problem with it. Because in fact, I've referred to it before, there is a famous Star Trek The Next Generation episode called Pin Pals, in which young Wesley Crusher, a young third lieutenant, they call him, actually has a direct who resists and Wesley solves the problem. In fact, using our guidance, even though he didn't know it. I remember that one only because you told me about it. <laughs> Twenty five thousand times. I never right? saw the episode, but I think I know every line from it. So thank you. So the point of this, guys, is we're just setting the stage. When a direct disagrees with you in private, for heaven's sakes, don't panic. It's normal. And if you want to behave in a way that will show them that you realize it's normal, thank them for their input. 
if they've taken the time to dissent with you, to disagree with you, to challenge you before you've made the decision. You can discuss it with them. Talk to them about their idea. You always want open debate within reason. You've got timelines and so on. You always want that kind of open, free-flowing debate before a decision is made. And then at some point, we have to make a decision. And if it helps you to think of it this way, please do so. Keep in mind that part of people's expression of disagreement with you before you make a decision is a form of respect. Really, even in a way, even if they disagree after the fact, they express the disagreement in the form of resistance, if you will, they would never do that if they work for a tyrannical boss. Tyrants don't ever hear of any disagreement, even though, of course, it's there just because we're human. There's the lesson. We don't want to wish for the lack of disagreement. We want disagreement aired in the most effective way. Right. That's the point, right? It's not yeah. a disagreement. It's a question of when is the disagreement voiced, right? Before or after a decision, and yeah. how is it voiced? Yeah. And the problem with and that takes us to our next point, which is it's it's good up to a point. And I'm not saying everybody falls in line like soldiers. We may still be talking about it, but I'm not disagreeing with my boss when she says, Hey, we're gonna go in this direction. The problem with the idea of disagreement that is often argued bloggers, by the way, I just, we just had to do some IP, some intellectual property defense with somebody. I'm amazed at these freelance writers who are writing articles about management and you look at their bio and they've never been a manager. I don't know how they do that. But anyway, they talk about that. Oh, it's okay to disagree. You need to be open. You need to have a collaborative environment and so on, but they don't ever think about the before and after about role power and that sort of stuff because they've never been in that environment. HR does the same thing. And Folks, HR, please don't send me mail. Okay, fine. If you send me mail, I'll respond. But I'll just tell you, HR does it too. Oh, no, no. You need to be open. You need to be open to disagreement. You know, we want to have a true exchange of ideas. Yes, we do. Until we don't. Guys, we have to put out a product. We can't debate this thing because one guy on the team says, I'm not comfortable. This is not a democracy. Or let's put it this way. We are not seeking unanimity. And unfortunately, we don't teach people things like decision theory, where there's a difference between unanimity and consensus, which most people don't understand. So the idea of disagreement is that it's overarching. It's a timeless good. In theory, that's correct. And look, F. Scott Fitzgerald once said that the sign of a true genius is somebody can hold two opposing ideas in their mind at the same time, which is the ultimate form of conflict, even in one person. But the theory of the universal good of disagreement and friction and two ideas rubbing together to create a third one that's better and so on, it's like, hey, you got my peanut, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. Hey, you got your chocolate on my peanut butter, right? And then you end up with Reese's peanut butter cups. I mean, true, but, you know, there was conflict there, but it turned out better than anybody would have thought. The problem of the idea of conflict being always good is wrong. It's not true, and it's politically dangerous. And all of this widely available guidance that you can find on the web on dissent and disagreement is totally in favor of it, but it's kind of utopian in the way they describe it, and it's weird. And again, it's inattentive to the issue of timing of dissent. Disagreement after a decision, when actions are warranted, 
and actions are being affected by dissent because the dissent suggests a mindset that would cause the person to not give their last full measure of work devotion to a project, that kind of dissent isn't helpful. It's often political. I'm going to drag my feet on this and maybe her project will fail, but mine will succeed and I'll keep it under wraps, but it'll make a difference and it'll come in at the last minute and win the day kind of thing. Managers don't tolerate that. Oh, you can have a skunk works, but skunk works aren't so private. The organization doesn't know it exists. That kind of stuff is political and messy and selfish. And while politics are inevitable, messy and selfish are not. And in fact, we have guidance on this about professional subordination, about recognizing, hey, boss, I disagree. And now we've made a decision. Okay, we murdered the unchosen alternative. I recommended B. My boss wants A. I didn't get B. I go. I have to go back to my team and say, when they say, I thought you wanted B. And I have to say, we're doing A. And when the team says, well, why didn't you argue more for B? It doesn't matter about B. We're doing A. Oh, you totally sold out. No, I didn't. I'm a professional. I made my case. My boss heard me out. He's a good guy. He's fair. A won. B lost. And you know what? It's just like going back to your analogy about high school sports, Mike. You lose some games, but you don't pout during the next game. Or you're not the starting person. You're not the per- you're not playing the position you want. So therefore, you're going to let somebody do let the defense do what they want to do against your offense. I think not. So I have a scenario that I've shared with a couple of the managers who have told me about this resistance problem, and they've responded really well to it. So let me just put this out here. You and your team have a series of discussions and it leads up to a budget and you achieve some consensus. And for the record, if you don't know, consensus is no one means that no one disagrees so strongly that they're going to veto it. They're going to fall on their sword and say no. Okay. Not that everybody says yes or that everybody loves it, but that nobody hates it. That's what consensus is. Okay. And it's not necessarily a very good decision process. Okay. You decide, okay, we've got consensus and you're hoping that people generally agree, which they do because they're going to be the ones that are going to spend the money. So we want them to generally agree. You decide, you put your budget forward to your boss. She accepts it. She supports it and gets it funded. That's what her job is. Now you're spending your budget based on the lines in the budget and support of the priorities that we agreed to through our consensus seeking. Kudos to you for doing it. That's what budgets are for. But you get a report from finance toward late part of the first quarter, which shows you're way over budget, even though you actually and your spending have been right online. How does that happen? Yeah, you dig into the report and you discover all the overspending is from one manager. You ask her to come by your office. You ask her what happened. And she says, well, I told you all along I never agreed. I mean, technically, you told me what consensus was, and I got that. I didn't so strongly disagree that I would hold it up for everybody else, but I'm not saying I agreed. And so I think our priorities should be different. (laughs) Yeah. This stuff happens? Oh, dude. Well, show notes. Guys, if you're thinking that what she did is okay, that as long as she disagreed, she can, in fact, spend on different priorities, okay, you're nuts. We understand her disagreement. It's not wrong to disagree on a budget. You could have different priorities. We respect that she had a disagreement, but she doesn't get to turn that disagreement into her own set of priorities and go against what you essentially decided and deciding is to make a choice and to create a plan of action and to go against the plan of action. 
A budget is actually, in a way, a set of deliverables. It's not a project plan that says, by Tuesday, Joe will have done X. It's just different language. It says, by the end of January, Joe will not have spent more than Y in this area. It's a deliverable. That's all it is. It's a financial deliverable. If you're thinking it's okay what you did, you're not going to make it very long in the management world. The management world is not about every individual feeling good about their voice being heard. It is about the magnification of many people's efforts to produce an incredibly greater result than we could all get individually. Somebody told me the other day, Mike, I was in Silicon Valley. Somebody says, management is kind of like, you know, it's kind of like it's a democracy and you're kind of getting voting. No. Voting suggests that each person gets the exact same weight, at least in most modern voting systems. And you add up the individual units and you compare units. Organizations are not like voting. Organizations exist to focus and magnify those individual efforts to produce an output far more vast than the individual efforts could be. Voting is a zero-sum game. If you vote for A, you don't vote for B. Organizations, management, which exists to take care of the organization, is about creating 200 persons worth of work out of only 110 or 120. That's what organizations do. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We work with Apple, and most people recognize that the iPhone was a, was a transformative product. There's no way. It's been 10 years now for Apple's iPhone. There's no way that the number of people Apple had employed when it produced the iPhone in 2007 could have individually created either the iPhone itself or as many copies as Apple created. So the idea that one person gets to vote, and in an organization, how you vote is both what you say and also what you do, both of which are behaviors we'll talk about in a second. The idea that they get to vote is ludicrous. This is not a democracy. In the same way, for heaven's sakes, in a very good way, that the modern, basic, Republican, capitalistic democracies of the world are not organizations. They're Republican, capitalistic democracies. They're two different things. I just couldn't believe the person trying to conflate two different, fundamentally different ideas like yeah, he's a socialist, which basically means he's in favor of capitalism. I said, well, no, wait, no, no, no. Those are two different things, what you're talking about right there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Mark, he's kind of like a communist, which makes him a capitalist. No, really, no. That's like saying he's tall, so therefore he's short. You can't say, well, you can say that, but your head will explode at some point. So what this manager has done in the example is inexcusable. The person who has decided to spend the money her own way. And in fact, when I asked people about that, they said, oh, yeah, you can't do that. You can't. Yeah, I said, well, that's what resistance is. They agree, but then they go do what they want. Well, no, Mark, she's not doing what she wants. She's just not doing what I want. I said, well, wait a minute. It's your own little old management Kobayashi Maru thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. I said, are you... Are you suggesting that she doesn't want to do what she's doing? No, no, no. She's a person with free will. She wants to do what she's doing. I said, so you've asked her to do certain things. She's not doing them. Whose will is she engaging? Oh, hers. I said, so let's be clear. She's doing what she wants to do. In fact, all adults always do what they want to do. It's the nature of humankind. And the organization says, you don't get infinite free will. 
I'm sure I'm turning some people off to large organizations. And in fact, for many of you, if you're younger, you're thinking, I guess now that I think about it, that's probably true. But again, you give up part of your freedom to magnify your ability. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Sociologists say the greatest achievement of mankind is large organizations. We're the only species that can phenomenally magnify our efforts by coalescing around teams and ideas and agreement and processes and systems and frankly, profit as well. And so what this manager did was inexcusable. And what's worse, she then offered an excuse. She said, I disagreed. It's inexcusable to do it, and then to offer an excuse when something's inexcusable is politically embarrassing. Organizations don't exist to allow every individual's decisions to flourish in all aspects of their work. And the parts of your work that are distinctly yours, yes, you're expected to use your own judgment. Cool. We get that. That might mean disagreeing with your boss about methods, okay? And I put disagreeing there in quotes. Your boss may say, hey, I'd do it this way. But if your boss ever says, hey, I'd do it this way, you don't have to do it exactly that way. If you have a better way that produces the same result with higher quality, lower cost, whatever, you should do it that way. And that's why we don't like micromanagers, because as a general rule, your methods are yours. A boss who demands method compliance, let's call it that, in all things, is in fact a micromanager, which micromanagers greatly reduce the magnification of human effort that organizations exist to create. But on the other hand, there's also a healthy portion of your role as an individual or as a manager in which you're implementing other people's guidance. You're acting as a pair of hands to other people's plans, and they've given you the ability to choose your method on your own. They trust you you're a trusted advisor to them with authority over your own methods. So therefore, what this all means is you don't get to take action which subverts the decisions of the organization. Even though you may disagree, you don't get to deviate from the plan. It's okay if you're making best efforts to deliver the plan and you humanly stumble. That happens. It's okay if you make a mistake. But if truthfully you would say, I didn't agree with the plan and so I didn't follow the plan, I mean, I hate to say it, but in some cases, that's an ethical breach. Yeah. This is tyranny, dude. Tyranny. Yes, right. That's what people say. But no, it's not. It's, I mean, tyranny is you don't have any freedom. You can't even do your own budget. We just crush you. It's not. It's you have to give up some of your individuality in order to achieve the joy of magnification of human effort. And if that joy doesn't appeal to you, you should become an apprentice. You should become a journeyman. You should be in a, in a craft that you can do all by yourself. But I promise you, the moment you start getting profitable or successful, you're going to end up creating an organization beneath you because there's a part of your brain that knows you need it so that you can do the thing that only you can do. Like I've said before about CEOs, what's the one thing CEO should do? The thing that only the CEO can do. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.